You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Savage Arms. Now, Savage has recently introduced the 110 Ultralight. Savage has teamed up with Proof Research once again to craft a barrel specific for a purpose-driven firearm. At around 6 pounds, the 110 Ultralight is designed to combat elevation and the elements while maintaining the performance of a factory-blueprinted Savage 110 action. The carbon fiber-wrapped stainless steel barrel and melanite skeletonized receiver minimize weight for success on any mountain hunt now i could go on and on about all the good things about this firearm but what you need to do is go to savagearms.com check out the 110 ultralight they have it available for the 308 Win Mag, the 270 Win Mag, the 28 Nosler, the 28 Ackley Improved, the 36 Springfield and so on and so on and so on they got it for just about uh, any cartridge so what you need to do is go to savagearms.com check this rifle out it's a badass rifle savagearms.com Woo! <laughs> ladies and gentlemen welcome to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast. My name is Dan Johnson. I'm your host, and this is brought to you by Vortex Optics. Now, I, I had a little Ric Flair in me. I've been feeling good lately. Uh, I'm gonna. I'm just gonna throw some things out there. I pulled the ripcord uh, late last year and early in this year. And, and what do I what I mean by that is I put on the pounds. I weighed in last Saturday. No, last Friday. At about, that's no, two Fridays ago actually, at about 240 pounds. And for me, that's pretty heavy. I haven't uh, been that weight. I've, I've been that weight one other time in my whole life, and I was just a pile of garbage at that weight. And uh, I, I've been eating my emotions and I've been eating my stress in the. You know, in the past couple months, in the past six months or so, since ever since I got done with the hunting season, I haven't been doing much. And I put on the pounds, and I recently started this workout program to try to get myself in shape for the upcoming hunting season. Because I don't know if it wasn't for hunting, I probably would just let myself go and just get disgusting. But I have something. I have a goal that I want to achieve, and that goal is me in the mountains and me out on the prairie and me through the woods chasing animals and trying to be as healthy as I possibly can, and I'm feeling good. The, the workout program has been kicking my ass, but I feel good at the end of the day, right? I've, I don't eat until I'm full anymore. I got an app where I'm counting my calories. Um, I'm burning about 400 calories in about an hour on average maybe maybe a little more some workouts maybe a little less with the goal of me cruising into my 40s because I, I turned 40 in November and I want to cruise into my 40s in maybe some of the best shape I've ever been in my life that's the goal and what that means then is that in 2021 when I go on some of my big hunting trips I will be in shape to where maybe my physical fitness it won't be an excuse for why I don't succeed I don't want I don't want all that time I don't want all that energy 
Um, so I'm telling you right now that I'm doing it because I'm not the guy who likes to take selfies of myself working out and like, Hey, check this out, man. I just did some squats. Hey, cool. I may post a little bit here and there about it, but I'm not going to be the guy with a cutoff t-shirts flexing and saying venison gains or, you know, you know, all that stuff. That's not me. Uh, but it is what it is. I don't, I don't hate those people. I don't, I don't dislike them, but I'm just not that guy. Right. So, um, I, I do have to give those guys credit though, because they bust their ass all the time and I don't. And now I see why it is more beneficial to stay in shape other than stop working out, eat your feelings and now go back into, you know, go back into the, uh, the, the, this workout program where I feel like I've never worked out before in my life, like it's heavy breathing and I'm, I'm doing it only for hunting. I'm doing it. I'm doing it for hunting. So that's the goal. That's what I've been doing lately. Hopefully all you guys are finding success out there. Um, in whatever it is you're doing, it's still crazy out there. I, I, I don't really know what to say. I don't want to say anything. I don't like to give opinions on, on that kind of stuff, but What I can tell you is that we have an absolutely badass podcast today with Greg Litzinger. And Greg, you might know him on Instagram as the bow hunting fiend, right? He's out of New Jersey and the dude is a whitetail crazy, just like the rest of us. Uh, He is passionate. He scouts. He, you know, hangs from the saddle and we talk about his introduction into hunting, why he loves it so much. Um, it's just a really good BS session with a guy who I would say I relate to a lot. Um, there's not a lot of guys out there who I can sit down and and just really say that I relate to them, uh, throughout, you know, not only their hunting strategy, but their life. And for some reason, I really enjoyed this, this podcast because I feel like Greg and myself had a lot, have a lot of similarities. So it's a good old fashioned BS session. It's kind of mixed with a hunter profile. I asked him a lot of questions about his youth, how he got into bow hunting. And I think you guys are definitely going to enjoy this episode. And I do have to do a commercial here. Got to sell out real quick. And what's the commercial? The commercial is obviously Lone Wolf. So, and listen to the listen to this episode because me and what makes this this particular episode so relatable to me is that a piece of equipment, aka the Lone Wolf tree stand, right? that Greg talks about in this episode and I've talked about in my past being a key factor in us becoming more mobile and getting more encounters with deer thus us learning more about deer and you know when you when you can have a piece of gear that allows you to be more successful and then you are able to learn from your encounters it all snowballs right it just snowballs and snowballs and snowballs and uh you just continue to learn so i am a huge fan of lone wolf tree stands and uh i've been using them now for a while i bought my first one used off of a guy and back then i look at that and i was like oh man the money that just it's you know, from even buying it used, I, back then I I wasn't making hardly any money at all. And I just had to say to myself, dude, it's gotta be worth it. And then that the one weekend I practiced with it, the next weekend I was able to get out in the, and use it. And it was absolutely awesome. Absolutely awesome. And I, I, I love it ever since. So what you need to do is go check out Lone Wolf. Let's see, let me get there. Let me get, I always mess up. I'm such an idiot when it comes to this. Uh, LoneWolfHuntingProducts.com. LoneWolfHuntingProducts.com. I'm a big fan of the Assault. Uh, For some other stands that I have, I have the Alpha. It's a bigger platform. The Assault is the Compact. It's It's like my, I don't know, if a soldier has a, a AR or whatever they use, an M16, uh, that is 
my M16. That assault goes everywhere that I go. It, it has allowed me to be mobile and it's lightweight and it's quiet and it's just a badass tree stand, man. And you, you company that with their sticks. Uh, you can go anywhere. You can do anything. So lonewolfhuntingproducts.com. And if you do decide to check out, enter the discount code NFC five zero and you will save fifty dollars off of all orders over two hundred dollars so there's that other than that hopefully uh, i've been talking a while now hopefully you guys are having a good week it's about to get better with this episode so enjoy all right in three two one all right on the phone with me today mr greg litzinger greg what's up man What's happening, man? Oh, not too much. Uh, I'll be honest. I've been uh, following you on Instagram for a while now, and I've I've made a judgment on you, and I I don't want <laughs> I I don't want you to get upset. But the reason and it's, right. it's partly the reason why you're on this uh, podcast today. But you're a white tail crazy person. I guess that's a nice way of saying it, yeah. Okay, good. Because I am also a whitetail crazy person, so in in, yes. in my world, that's a good thing. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So let's see. Where? Why don't we kick it off like we always do? Where are you from, and what do you do for a living? Uh, born and raised South Jersey. Um, I have to say South Jersey because North Jersey, people think New York City, but we're South Jersey farmland. Lots of woods. Uh, <laughs> um, I'm a mechanic for UPS, uh, going on 17 years. Uh, yeah, wow, well, that's depressing. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's a good job, though, right? Yeah, it pays the bills. Yeah, allows allows me lots of vacation to go hunting. So, how many vacation days do you get a year? I get six weeks. Uh. I know a lot of guys who would take that, man. That's uh, that's yeah, a lot of time. It's a tra- yeah, trade-off. You know, you sell your soul for a little bit of time to do what you love and get paid for. I basically, like, when I'm on vacation hunting, I tell people I'm a professional hunter because I'm actually getting paid to go hunting. <laughs> so there's some truth to that, you know? That's, that's a fact. That's a fact. All right, so South Jersey. Um, yeah. how, far, how far are you from... Let's see, from New York City. New York City, two two hours and 15 minutes, maybe. Two hours, depends if you want to drive fast. Okay. And you said that uh, the it's, it's just a bunch of farm grounds and timber. What's that split? Why don't yeah. you just kind of walk us through what the terrain is like out there? Well, I mean, New Jersey, uh, we're one of the most densely populated states, so we have a lot of large tracts of timber, but... You know, a lot of farms broken up with some developments and uh, not many big cities by us. They're like little pockets, a couple thousand people here and there. And then as you go further up the turnpike or the parkway, it gets just more densely populated. You know, um, still woods, but more developments, more roads. Like I I literally live in a one street like town, um, which is kind of nice because. The older I get, the more I realize I don't like people. So it's kind of nice. <laughs> hey, dude, I agree. Um, I can remember going on job interviews, and I was sitting in a job interview, like, I don't know, let's just say 10 years ago or, or 15 years ago. Oh, yeah, I'm a people person. I, I'll work with anybody, I, you know, like this. And then on <laughs> one of the last job interviews that I ever had, they're like, so, um, you know, how do you get along with people? Like, are you a people person? I said, 10 years ago, I would say, uh, I'm a people person, but I'm actually not a people person. And I, I say that because I don't like dumbasses. Like there's so many mm-hmm. people out there in my past experience who just say dumb shit and then it pisses me off. And then I get in trouble because I fire back at that. So yep. leading me to, you know, in the, in the whitetail world, I'm a people person. I love talking about yeah. that, but in the, yeah. I don't know, in the, all the other crap that goes on, I am not. So yeah comes to politics and stuff like that i'm not yeah uh it's like yeah i got oh you see that deer over there oh look at that tree yeah oh is that a deer track (laughs) (laughs) so how far are you from the ocean uh 45 minutes okay so so you're pretty you're pretty close 
yeah, I'm uh, I'm I'm 20 minutes from the Delamoro Bridge, uh, and about you know, I said 45 minutes from here, so I'm kind of not in the middle but close. So it's it's a pretty cool uh, state to live in because you know, we got a lot of diversity, a lot of shoreline. We got rivers, Delaware River. You know, we got the ocean, you know, and then you got uh, everything everything in between. It's a it's a very stressful state, but has its perks, you know. Yeah. The state does a good job buying up land for hunting and fishing, which is nice. Oh. Um, so let me let me ask you this: Have you been South Jersey your whole life, or have you are you a transplant from somewhere else? Born, born and raised. Well, not born. I was born in Delaware, which is basically South Jersey. You know. Uh, yeah. But I grew I grew up twenty minutes from where I live now. Uh, at 18, I did the old spread your wings and fly and lived all over the state, Blank City, Wildwood, and here, there. And I ended up settling back in uh, where I grew up because, well, I guess that's just what you do. And you buy a house and you become responsible. <laughs> I wouldn't call myself responsible. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> gotcha. So let me, let me ask you this then. Um, as far back as you can remember, did, I mean, did you come from a whitetail family, or is it something that you picked up uh, on your own? No, my dad was a old you know, farm boy, and uh, he always hunted and fished. And and when you're a kid, you know, you pretty much, uh, especially in my era, you did what your parents did. You didn't really have a say. Like we went camping, there was no like, hey, I'm not going to go camping. You just went camping. Yeah. And, hey, I'm going fishing. I don't want to go. Too bad. You're going. And <laughs> it just stuck with me. Uh, you know, I've always just loved being outside. You know, my my dad, he grew up on the water. We have, you know, water behind the house and fresh water. And, I mean, nine, I think nine years old, I got my first boat. So I pretty much just fished every day. And as I got older, I kind of transitioned into hunting you know i see my dad kill some deer hang them up on the swing set and it's like man these things are awesome and it's just kind of it started its own fire i guess yeah what did your dad have to convince you to go fishing and go i mean did you put up a fight at least or no. or did was no, it just I, like yeah i'm going yeah he, uh i would drag him out of bed because he worked night shift you know a lot of times like rotating shifts he'd get home at six in the morning like, I'd be ready to go. Like, hey, let's go. Yeah, I'm tired. Let's go. And he'd always take me fishing if I asked. That's good. You know, and is is that, would you call that your foundation for, uh, the, like, your love and your passion for the outdoors? Oh, abs- yeah, absolutely. And we did a lot of uh, traveling. Like, my dad was pretty rad. As a, as a kid, you don't think, you think your dad's rad when you're young, as you come as a teenager. Uh, he's an asshole. And as you get older, you're like, my dad was pretty cool, actually. You know, like, we always traveled. I mean, I fished. I mean, by the time I was 15, I, we went, uh, probably fished, you know, 20 different states on vacation or just go somewhere and go fishing, trout fishing, you know, just did a lot of things. And I had a lot of experiences, which I'm grateful for. And I, I try to give my kids now the same kind of experiences I had, uh, which is tough because there's a, there's a lot of competition out there these days. <laughs> yeah. That's a fact, man. I, I tell you, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm really busy with my job. And one thing that I know I really get frustrated with is my kids are downstairs right now while I record this cause my wife's working as well. And they're on an iPad or they're playing video games. And then mm-hmm. So it's like I got to work, do all this work, and then I have to try to get them outside and break them away from their quote unquote screen. And sometimes, yeah, sometimes it kind of sucks. So you know, after after seeing that, just like what you said, man, I, I tell you what, I used to have the same thing. Like, oh my man, my dad's my my dad was kind of a prick, but I look back and yeah. I'm like, he took us camping, he co- took us fishing, he was. Yeah. He was pretty cool, and uh, I just yeah. I want to be like that and just like continue that. I don't know. Yes. Continue that outdoor lifestyle. And it's I I want to be a better version of my father, and I mean that's that's a tough thing to do. That's a fact. But I think 
as parents, like that's our job. Like take the good that I got from my parents and you know try to eliminate the bad because I got my own bad. I don't need to bring my parents' bad into it and make sure they have a better understanding of things. The, the yeah. things I wish somebody would have told me, you know, at my stepdaughter's age, like eight or nine, I try to tell her and, you know, in, in one ear, out the other, but I'm like, man, sooner or later, things will click for her and she'll kind of understand why things are the way they are in some things. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, are your kids right now, I mean, how old are they? My stepdaughter will be nine this year. My, my, uh, the newborn just turned on that newborn, my toddler, she just turned two last week. Okay. So, you know, obviously the toddler, maybe they can come along for the, uh, the ride every once in a while. But as far as your stepdaughter Mm -hmm. is concerned, um, has she, does she have any interest in the outdoors? She, she has spurts for a while where she shoot her bow with me and, go out like scouting she was all about it fighting like shed hunting even though i'm a horrible shed uh guy i, I would take some antlers i found and put them out in the woods for her, and she'd find them she was super hype and then this year it was literally just like a light switch just shut down like just no interest huh you know like and it's like oh you know uh, it's hard because i want to force her but that's not the way to do it so it's like maybe she'll come around maybe she won't you know, where I, like my daughter, she's obsessed with, I mean, Annette, when she's her birthday, she's obsessed with elk. She calls them deer, but we watch, you know, uh, white-tail drilling, we'll watch like elk bugles or turkey gobbles, and she loves it. She's good for about 10 or 15 minutes. She's all about it. And then she kind of, you know, as toddlers do, they, they kind of get off something else, but she loves deer. She has a little pet deer. She's got like fake deer. And she runs around saying deer, holds them. So... She has a, a natural draw to it, I think. Same with fish, you know. I got pictures of me holding some fish, and she just, she's gravitated towards that element without much, you know, influence from me yeah. at this point. She sees Daddy doing it, and whatever Daddy's doing, she likes yeah. to do. Right, mm-hmm. right. Okay, so I kind of want to go back to when you were a kid here for a second, and uh, how old were you when you, I mean, because you mentioned your dad uh, you know, would take you to fishing whenever you wanted to go. And, uh, yeah. you know, he would, you know, he would tag, you'd tag along on maybe some deer hunts. What age were you when you started tagging along on some of these deer hunts? Uh, I, I did a lot of scouting with him, uh, but I didn't really tag along hunting until I got my hunting license. Um, I was 14, got a license. And then, you know, back in that era, my dad was like, all right, sit here. I'll be back in three hours. He's like sitting on the side of the tree. But I did a lot of scouting with him a couple of years prior. Every spring, winter, you know, just look for deer, you know, understand tracks and all that other stuff. So as far as actually you know, hunting, I actually had a license before I was actually, you know, going after deer. Okay. If that makes any sense. I mean, did you did you go out before that with him or not? No, no. No. Okay. All right. So, um, so you were, you basically just didn't start hunting until you actually started hunting yourself. You didn't yeah, go out with him. Okay. All right. So w- what was that like? You know, you're, you're 14 some years old and, uh, you just got your license. Um, how did you kick it off? I mean, did you kick it off with gun hunting or did you go straight into archery? Straight into archery. Uh, the way, sure. I was, uh, I was a tiny 14 year old, like teeny tiny like our the, the pullback 35 pounds was a was a feat it was tough it was hard for me to pull back 35 pounds so that's probably why i didn't go out hunting any earlier you know because i was just you know, i was a little baby basically um but it was kind of cool i'll never forget the first morning i uh, didn't see anything and that evening i actually pulled my bow back on the doe my buddy chris who was hunting with you know, first time as well, he ended up taking a shot at a, a, a doe. My dad, I don't know if he missed the doe or, or was getting a really shot, of, take a shot on a doe. So it was a pretty cool, you know, first time out seeing deer. I mean, we're sitting on the ground, and I mean, I remember how this doe was like, you know, I thought she was going to eat my hat. She was so close. <laughs> you know, she was like right there. And it was like, oh, my God, what do I do? You know, and of course, you move because you don't know what they're like. I'm just going to pull back, and, you know, that don't work, you know, and she just takes off. 
you know? Yeah. So it was like so cool to have them that close and not really know I was there until I moved. And back then, I didn't have camo. I had like a flannel shirt on, you know, and had a a full brim hat with uh, my dad burn a cork and put stuff on my face, you know, to take the sheen down. Uh, which was pretty, you know, I guess that's like the end thing these days, it seems like. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So... So that that was kind of your introduction, right? I mean, you you, yeah. you you went right into archery. How long until, I mean, you started getting serious about it, and, and you that's like all you were thinking about. I mean, because at fourteen for me is you know freshman year of high school, and then different activities start to pop up for yeah. a, a kid. Right, right from Jump Street, having that deer that close. Because I mean, I grew up fishing, you know, and I have deer come down fishing but but actually having the bow and having that close that there was you know that's all it took for me that was like the the, the gas the mats the fuse everything thrown into a barrel and like the way it went and the following year you know my buddy wanted to get into hunting the kid that uh you know in that last post my buddy rick he decided he wanted to go hunting because chris didn't chris got interested in girls so the following year, Rick got a license, and that whole summer we scouted, 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 and I ended up killing a deer on my birthday, a buck on my birthday. First deer I ever killed, I killed on my 15th birthday, which awesome. was pretty uh, pretty intense. You know, my tree, I scouted it. My dad let me and Rick do our own thing in this one little section of woods, and uh, yeah, I killed a deer, and it was just like next day I didn't go to school because I shot it at night. So we went looking for it in the morning. It didn't go to school that day or it went late or whatever, but we ended up finding a deer and it was like, this is it. <laughs> this is the best thing ever. So you were pretty jacked up, not only just shooting uh, your first deer, but shooting it on your birthday. It was like the best yes. time, best thing yeah, ever. Yeah. And I'll never forget, you know, like my mom passed uh, when I was 15 right after that. And she, after I shot it, you know, my dad was like, we'll leave it lay. We'll come back in the morning. Um, and she left a note, you know, congratulations on your deer. Not knowing we found it, but I always thought that was pretty cool. Like, she knew that I was going to find that deer. Yeah. And uh, was, and then that a few weeks later, Rick shot his first buck. You know, so we both shot a buck, you know, 30 days apart in our first you know, year hunting together. Both of us shot bucks, you know, and... Uh, that's probably we, you know, probably pretty special for two 15-year-olds. I mean, you guys probably thought um, you were king shit at the time. Yeah, exactly, you know, and in high school, you know, I was, you know, uh, so, you know my junior, senior year, you know, because I said after my mom died, my dad kind of just let me do my own thing, and I'd go hunting before school. I would ride a 10-speed to what we call Wingate Dyke, and I literally had a shotgun on my back or my bow on a sling, and I would ride my bike to Dyke to go hunting before school. You know, and stash. <laughs> you know, it's so so horrible. Look like now, like stash the bell or gun in the woods. Go to school, come back after school, go hunting. Totally like not. You know, born, I was definitely uh, probably born in the wrong era, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I you know I used to hear stories about um, when we would go pheasant hunting. Uh, you know, we could take. I don't know why. I don't know why there, but there were these kids. They would just uh, kind of drive. They would be having a, a shotgun on their bicycle they would walk into a grocery store and they would buy donuts and then they and milk and then they would leave and mm-hmm. nobody used to nobody would say anything about it but it's like if you yep. see a gun in public today any gun oh, people get freaked freaked out yeah so yeah unless you live in like montana or something right right <laughs> right so 15 hits um and by this time you're in Right, I mean, it, yeah. you knew that. Hey, I'm going to be doing this a lot. Yeah. It okay. Was, uh, it was a back then. It was kill. We didn't really because our, our age structure of deer wasn't that good because you can just literally kill whatever. So it was basically sheer numbers. Just kill as many as you can. Yeah. It wasn't about rack. It wasn't. It was like the thing back when I did it. It was was who killed more deer, not who killed the biggest. Okay. It was who could kill more because. I think I got that from my father because they come from coal country where you killed to eat. 
so the more you kill, the more you eat mentality. Yeah. So I didn't transition out of that phase till I was like almost 30. Because it was like, I always had a freezer full of meat. Like, I'd give meat away. You know, I'd just massacre deer every chance I got. Yeah. How many deer could you shoot? Is it Was it unlimited at that time? Uh, you can kill three. Kill two does and a buck, and then our permit season would come in. And I think you can kill two does and a buck, and then, would, like, winter bow, you can kill two does and a buck. So you can, I mean, those are, uh, 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 I think that's the way it was so long ago, like 30 years, but. I do believe that's pretty much how it went. Okay. So you could you you shot enough deer, started getting comfortable with them. I mean, at some point it was probably just whack them and stack them. I mean, you would uh, yes. I feel like you could just walk in the timber and uh, shoot a deer. Yeah, it was uh yeah, it was pretty much <laughs> and I I I never really got into like trophy hunting, I guess you would call it by the industry standard or mature deer. Yeah. chasing them because it uh, I just wanted to kill basically yeah. you know I, yeah. just, I like that feeling of of that it's uh, that that rush of knowing you did something I can supply I get food to this guy who doesn't have much I have food like I never bought red meat like I still don't buy red meat I haven't probably bought red meat in 20 years really I might buy like a good steak every now and again but it's I eat deer meat <laughs> yeah yeah, I know a handful of people who do that as well. And uh, so when did, at this point, when did you start taking it to the, even that next level where you're kind of obsessed with strategy and you're, you're just, you're overly scouting and, and you're looking for specific deer or are you, have you, because you mentioned you kind of got out of it, out of that, you know, if it's brown, it's down, fill the freezer type mentality. Yeah. How long ago was that? Let's see, because I, I was a big snow. I got into snowboarding. So, like, that was my winter uh, and springtime for my 20s to 30s. And then injuries, knee injury, knee surgery, knee surgery, knee surgery. And uh, that kind of got me thinking, and I can't do this because I'm in pain. So, I started scouting, sort of reading a lot more books, you know, uh, and I've always been like a primarily like a bed hunter. I don't really hunt food because I've literally seen deer eat like cigarette butts before, you know, they'll eat anything to <laughs> not get killed. So I've always been like a, like a hunt bedding areas. And then, you know, you, you, you hear rumbles, you know, in the beginning stages of the interweb. Uh, of other people hunting beds, you know, and that, I stumbled upon Dan Infall and, and that method, Andre, and all those, you know, people that were doing things that I was doing, but on a whole different spectrum. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, it said being hurt, not snowboarding, just spending time in the woods and learning. And then uh, it's a kind of snowballed after that. Like, I, I really wanted to kill those deer I would catch glimpses of during the season, but they'd be a you know, hundred yards off or chasing a doe or something. I was like, I'm good enough. I'm smart enough. I just need to put in like quality work. And it's just kind of, uh, as with anything in life, you, you get a passion for it. You like, you just dive all into it. And I just became literally obsessed with consuming content, reading, and just being in the woods and just making mistakes and just learning like, all right, this setup sucks every time. But, this setup works half the time, you know, and you just, you know, trial, trial by fire, basically. Yeah. What was uh, some of the big lessons that you learned in that time frame when you were not only just consuming the content, but learning from your failure? What was, did you have any aha moments in that time that had really flattened the curve as far as hunting strategy? Getting a hang on stand, a lone wolf hang on stand was probably the best decision I did at the time because I, I use climbers, you know, loggy bayous and, and, you know, never use a summit, but, you know, bear hunting trees, loggy bayous, and uh, they're just noisy. Like, if you can't get close to a bedding area quietly, then the jig is up. So once I invested in, uh, you know, the hang-on, that's when things really got interesting because, you know, I could, you know, 
set the stand up or, or, or leave it there, you know, cause it's super quiet or I could sneak in and out of the woods with it. So that gave me the ability just to get really close to bedding, you know, like really, uh, push the envelope. And that's when I was like, Oh wow, I'm seeing bucks like in daylight. Oh, <laughs> and you know, you, you set up, you know, understand the thermals and whatnot. Like, but I would say like good quality stand was, what I kind of needed to take it to the next level, yeah. especially like hunting, like hunting beds, because you can't use a climber and hunt 50 yards from a bed. It's just it's not going to work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Man, I, I, I feel you because I feel like that was one of my, my biggest jumps as well was a piece of gear. Right. So yeah. I, you know, when I got my first lone wolf, I was uh, traditionally a uh, ladder stand guy. And where were most yeah. of the ladder stands on field edges or they were, mm-hmm. you know, easy access down a, a two track or something like that. Yeah. But when I first when I got that first lone wolf, dude, it, it was it was the coolest feeling because it was expensive at it at the time. And yeah. I bought I even bought it used off a guy. And I was like, man, I don't know. This is a lot of money for me. I don't know if I want to do it. I did it. I walked into the woods that I practiced with it for a weekend. The next weekend I went out and, uh, man, I had, I saw like 10 deer within shooting range that night. And I was like, uh, money well spent. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And it's funny, like, uh, like a bow or or not, but actually like a, a tree stand or like I'm a saddle user now, like there's a certain piece of equipment that it just takes you. Uh, allows you to ramp it up a little bit yeah. and gives you that edge either either psychologically or an actual like real life edge uh to get the job done yeah i feel you i feel you so you know for me and i want you to tell me what you know your experiences but for me when i did make that jump okay and I, I i got that hang on and i was able to be a little bit more mobile and i was having more encounters with deer i was able to learn more about deer because i was having encounters with more deer what did you learn um when you started having more encounters that what you think is going to happen doesn't right uh and i, and I say that in a in the context, you got to put yourself in the, the predator-prey mindset. Like, we, we don't really think in, in a prey mindset. If you were to, like, switch the roles around and we're the prey and the deer's a predator and you put your, you know, self in their shoes, so to speak, and we think this is a good spot, but, you know, in our, our mind it's a good spot. But a, a prey mentality is like, well, I'm vulnerable right here. I'm exposing myself or right. the wind's not right. You know, the wind will be at my back before I got in this field or, or into this little overgrown field. So for me, it was getting and kind of like flipping it, flipping around and trying to be the prey. You know, if I sit here, you know, would I get killed? You know, if I walked a trail, would I get killed if somebody's sitting in that tree? And just kind of sort of like just working it from all different angles. And uh, it helped me understand how like a mature buck will we'll walk through the woods. Uh, right. Majority of the time, not, you know, there's nothing hundred percent like, Oh, deer walk with a nose in the wind or need a strictly crosswind. I mean, there's particular times where they're vulnerable and that's where you need to set up on, yeah. you know, whether that crosswind changes or a little turn in the, the trail, like this, this is little awkward spots. Right. That's what I learned. Uh, you know, I, I honed in on it, I should say. Yeah, and, and that's an excellent point because I feel that you can you can have the tree stand, you can be the best archer, you can go and scout, right, and, and scout and find the deer sign, find yep. the beds, find the, the locations. But I, my opinion, and I want to hear what you have to say about it, but my opinion is you have to have that mindset that you just mentioned. Uh, it's a killer's mindset that some people are are better at it than others. Like we we can all get good at it, but some you know you you know there's just some people and I know some people that are just like on a whole nother level. Oh yeah, they've been hunting five years and you you talk to them you're like, wow, I feel stupid talking to you and I've done this like thirty years. <laughs> That's <laughs> a fact. They're just naturally like, gifted, you know. Yeah. 
Um, Do you feel that's observation, like walking into the woods and being able to just like open your mind up and absorb everything that's happening? Yes. I, I always tell new hunters, the deer tell you, they, they tell you everything that they do, where they eat, look at what they're browsing on, what's nipped off, where, where, the, where the shit is, where their beds are, where the rub scrapes are. If you just sit, the woods will talk to you. That's like, don't fact, be in a man. hurry. Like, the woods will tell you everything you need to, that you need. It's your job to put the pieces of the puzzle together, you know, and that, that's the hard part for a lot of people, I think. They can see the sign, but how do you interpret that sign and, and complete the puzzle? You know, a lot of people have a half the puzzle done, but they can't finish the puzzle because the, their mind just is not capable at this present time. Yeah, yeah, I feel yeah. I, I really think that a lot of people don't do enough observing than than they should they're in a hurry yeah everybody's in a hurry yep and as we you know me and you both know if you're in a hurry you're not going to kill what you're out there trying to kill i mean this i mean last year the last two years i had i mean absolute giants and kind of rushing not really paying attention not listening uh and it cost me you know opportunities on like once in a lifetime deer in New Jersey, and I fucked it up two years in a row. So I was like, "Hey, thanks, asshole." Yeah. Because you, know, <laughs> you don't take your own advice. You're like, ah, there's, there's nothing here. I'm gonna go over here, and then you have kicking up something giant, and then you're like, hmm. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So live with that one forever. So walk us through that. I want to hear. I want to hear that story because uh, I want to hear how you adjusted after that. So. Two years ago, we had this uh, freak snowstorm in November. I think it was like November 15th, something odd. I mean, it was like snowing enough to you can track deer. Like, it's like three inches of snow. So I'm like, oh, I'm going out. And it's like sleeting snow now. And I I walk down. It's right near the parking lot. You know, and I kind of walked past it earlier and just trying to cut tracks. That's all I was doing. I was like, I'll just track them back to their bed. And then... I didn't see nothing. And then walking back, I was maybe 50 yards, 100 yards from the parking lot. There's uh, this point that kind of goes down into the marsh. And I was like, there's probably a deer bedded there. So I I creep down, and I can see a deer, snow, a a doe's bedded there. And I'm like, huh. So I get up, and there's this giant tree, you know, and and I, I, I just got really greedy really aggressive and I got right up on this tree so I could see around it. I'm looking at this doe, looking at this doe and I go to like look around I mean it's a big I think it might have been a beach, but it's one of them like trees that's like five foot around. So yeah. I'm on a tree, they can't see me, so I, I look over to the left, I'm like, huh I look over, you know, and there's this massive, you know, possible booner bedded down with that doe at fifteen yards. Less than fifteen. And by the time I grab my bell and, and I'm so close to the tree, I go to pull back. I can't really do anything, and they both take off, all because I was in a hurry to get to this tree instead of just stopping and saying, hey, it's November 15th or 14th. Doses don't bet alone in the middle of November. Yeah. Uh, and I said I just got dumb and greedy, and it cost me, you know, and that was – that hurt. Pretty, that hurt pretty well. It still hurts, actually. <laughs> and then, uh, Sorry for bringing it up. Yeah. yeah. So, and then last year, I... Go ahead. Uh, go, go. Uh, yeah, and then last year, I was getting set up, and I was in a hurry, but not, and just... I set up on these pine trees, because I, I had this little, out in the salt marsh, and it, my oak tree fell down. So I was like, oh, I'll get in this little pine tree. So I was kind of in a hurry, but not... And then I kind of started overthinking, overanalyzing it, and I'm going to this tree, I'm going to this tree, I'm going to hunt here, I'm going to do this. So I'm in a hurry, but I should have just climbed up this tree right here. You know, so I'm, I'm putting the, the the tethered platform on, and I'm only, you know, like five foot off the ground. And I hear, and I'm like, you got to be kidding me. And here comes like a clean eight, 160 caliber deer at seven Ooh. yards. I'm like bear hugging the tree. I'm putting the, holding the platform on, looking at the deer going, <laughs> and he just stops broadside, 
looking nowhere near me, you know, looking the opposite direction. And then in typical you know, deer fashion, he looks right up at me, and away he goes. And I was like, huh. huh. And this was, you know, like 3 o'clock in the afternoon. It was like super early, so oddball time for him to come out. But I'm like, well, all right. All because I was in a hurry but not, and couldn't pick my tree. I was overthinking everything and just, you know, your own worst enemy. So do you do you think that that right there is actually a problem on your part? Do you do you feel like you should have been in the tree earlier that day, or do, do you think you should have held up away from that spot more? No, right in that right. The oak tree fell. There's pines, and it's it's overgrown like scrub pines, oak. So you don't get very high. All I need to do is get four feet, four or five feet, and that's it. The tree there, they're all the same because you know it all gives you a shame shot opportunity in this little open spot where that deer came in like there's one trail that comes on the island so it doesn't matter if i was in this tree or, or that tree or this tree they all shoot in the same spot you know so it's like i want that perfect setup and I, I just over you know moving things around going here going here and just not trusting my gut instinct all right i went right through one tree and then i second guessed everything and then that happened you know because all, all i needed was three minutes that deer would have been dead you know Man, set the platform, or climbed up, put my bow up, boom, it came out, done. Yeah, but no. <laughs> so, you just you just mentioned two scenarios where you failed, right? Yeah. What? How, because I do, I still, I still make a lot of mistakes every year too. A lot of it is, you know, it's day fourteen of the rut, and you're tired, and you, you know your brain isn't functioning the way it probably should. And you're going out and you're rushing, kind of like what you mentioned there. But yeah. how do you how do you take the time to observe that failure then and learn from it? You know the the incident with the that one in the snow is like I've still hunted and I've killed deer, still hunting before. And you the the lesson is like, and I, and I know better, but you never get right up on the the piece of vegetation tree or bush because you limit your angles your shot opportunities you know you want to stay you know five yards off that item or that tree the bush or rock whatever it might be because you you open up shooting lanes when you get too close you you limit your your window i know that i mean my dad told me that and you know i made that dumb mistake and with the the pine tree incident is i'm hunt i'm shooting one trail here because it's coming off the bed and it's coming into this island there's just one trail there's no two three trails one trail any tree i would have been in i would have shot that deer but for some reason i had to be perfect uh, you know had to had the perfect cover and i just over over analyzed the situation so your gut instincts just trust it you know you know that the deer is going to come out this trail just get in this tree and just don't move because he's not expecting me to be there you know, because I'm that close to the bedding here. It's not like I'm in a food source. You know, I'm, I'm right next to his bed. So I just get up and just wait. And usually they'll come out. You know, just trust your trust uh, your your gut instinct and trust your ability to uh, get it done, you know, in, the, in those moments. Yeah. What do you think, in your opinion, is some of the biggest failures that people make every single year and maybe continue to make every single year that keeps them from putting an arrow in a deer. They don't trust themselves. They always think they're going to make the wrong decision, be in the wrong tree or more or, or worse. They're going to make a bad shot. Uh, I know guys around here, they're amazing deer hunters. They can't shoot a bow or a gun at a deer to save their life because they're so worried about either putting a deer in the wall or, or, or bragging to their friends, or I hope I don't shoot this thing in the guts. Well, you've already just <laughs> stacked the odds, and one of those things is going to happen. Like, if you see a deer, you know, it should be just automatic kill mode. It shouldn't be like, should I, I, I don't know about this. He's walking, move, just laser-like focus on his vitals and just go through your motions, go through your process and practice in the backyard and just become an autopilot, just straight kill mode. Yeah. Um, picking out trees same thing guys just second guess everything oh if i sit here and the wind blows this what if it swirls maybe i should be over there and they're almost like 
talking to themselves out of a good scenario. Like you just got to go sit it, man. Just trust it. A lot of self doubt. Not right. Make adjustments. <laughs> sounds like a lot of self doubt. Like, uh, yeah, exactly. and I tell you what, there's still times where I don't know about you, but I have to do that where I'll, I'll, I'll catch myself, you know, saying, okay, it's a Northwest wind. It's an afternoon hunt. I need, you know, I got trail camera picture of a deer here. This is where I'm going to go. But on the way to the farm, this something creeps in my head, dude. And I start questioning. And I'm like, well, I saw a buck here one time, and the wind did this one time, and I don't know what I should do. It's like, dude, you know what to do. Just go yep. do it. Just go do it. Stop yeah. talking to yourself. Just go do it. Yeah, and my buddy Johnny, uh, Johnny Stewart, he's big in that. Like, he, you know, hunting with him and hanging with him and scouting, like, he's so positive in his setups and his scouting and, and it, what he does. I mean, the dude's like a magician, man. He just, he's such a mind. It's like he knows it's going to happen. Like, we killed some deer this year, and he was literally, we're killing. And sure enough, three of us killed. You know, like, he's just, he just knows it, and he believes it's going to happen. And you know, it's nice being around people like that because there's some guys that I see in the woods or I hunt with, and it's rough hunting with them sometimes because it's always, <laughs> it's this, it's that. You know, I heard a noise. There's people walking in the woods. There's somebody fishing over there. There's like, dude, just sit. They're used to that, man. Like, we live in a, we're hunting a small little piece of woods. They're used to people. It's okay. But, you know. Yeah. So I want to talk about where you hunt. Are, are you hunting a majority of public? Yeah. Uh, 99.9999%. Okay. All right. So what is the public land in New Jersey like? I mean, is it stacked? And, I, and the only reason oh, yeah. I ask that is because I you're you're on the East Coast with a higher population. Yes, it's the baiting's legal in New Jersey. Uh, on public, even amplify. Yeah, on oh, everywhere. Okay. So it, it adds. Uh, you, you learn to get used to it, you know. But when it first became legal, it was rough, man, because it was just like. The free for all, bait piles everywhere, and most people you, they hunt the same bait pile year in year out. So deer used to that, I'm used to that. It's not that big of a deal, but yeah, it's, it's heavily pressured. Yeah, I um, mean some of the spots I hunt, I hunt a lot of marsh, ogre fields, a lot of bird hunters, rabbit hunters, duck hunters. Um, I, you know, I'm not the smartest man when it comes to the areas I choose to hunt. Like I choose to hunt the most heavily pressured spots because i want to kill the deer that nobody else can like in my mind i know i'm better than it sounds kind of arrogant but i know i'm better than everybody that hunts that piece of woods like that's the mindset i have like i'm going to be all of you and that deer yeah you have to have confidence man i don't think that's yeah. that's arrogant at all i mean because if you're I, I deal with a little bit of this as well on some of the farms that i hunt where there's guys doing the same thing that they've done for 20 years i mean they walk to their ladder stands they they spend their seven days of the rut and then they're gone right so i've yeah. learned to adapt my uh strategy around them to know that hey maybe if there's a deer if my trail cameras are showing a deer man i should flank this guy mm-hmm yeah. So do and you, that's, are you doing a lot of that? I, I uh, like I tell people, you know, I remember, I think I told uh, Aaron and Zach, you know, when they were back with Midwest Whitetails, you know, you don't react to pressure, you respond to it. You know, when you react, it's, it gives that little negative context. Like a deer, when, when they come across pressure or, or human presence, they don't freak out. They don't spaz out. They go in survival mode. You know, they respond to it and they make adjustments. We need to have that same mindset. You know, if you run into pressure, the people don't get upset and like leave and throw a hissy fit. Look at it, take a step back, and like, all right, the deer's still coming through here. They're just going to bypass this or circle downwind of this. And you can usually almost use pressure to your advantage in some scenarios. That's a great point. That's an absolutely great point. Um, I think that what you just said would help a lot of people because you know you run into a guy you're like ah you know i can't hunt here today you know go go to the west go to the north go to the east where's that next terrain feature at and that's when you hunt 
public, like, like uh, in a populated state. I mean, I'm sure in Iowa there's some certain spots that get hit pretty hard with a lot of different hunting. But these deer, they, they grew up in pressure. It's nothing new to them. It's not like, oh, my God, a human pressure. I'm going to go kill myself you know, and play in front of traffic. They're used to it. Pressure is the norm for them. So when human pressure comes in or bird hunters, duck hunters, they just go right around them. It's a normal day for them. It's an average day. Yeah. So it's almost like they're conditioned. That, you know, yeah. You know, it's not that big of a deal. They just loop around. And go, like I've watched duck hunters blow a buck out. Duck hunters leave the buck go right back into that bed. Like it's nothing. Yeah. Like, all right, I do this all the time, three times a week. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He doesn't go real running away, you know, cr- swimming across the lake or the pond or whatever. He just makes adjustment beds where he knows duck hunters aren't going to come up into it. And then when they leave, he goes right back to his bed. Yeah, that like, that's good observation, right? I mean, and, and then the fact that this buck, you know, he's uh, he's coming back in, and he's you know he gets bumped, and he's going to nope. that same prob- probably bed that he knows, like, hey, dude, these guys are going to kick me out at some point. Uh, I'm here yep. for a reason, and then it's uh, yep. you know I'll come back to it later. And with those, same thing, like those bed everywhere, and. They're, they'll blow, they'll, they'll do this or that, but they don't leave because they grew up in an area. Like, uh, I mean, I see it here in Jersey with, with the bait piles. They come in, they'll, same group of does will blow at the sky every night if the wind's wrong. But you know what? They're coming back to the bait pile every day. They don't deviate. They don't change. They just go downwind of the guy, but they're still coming in. Like, they've just adapted their pressure. They know how to move around it. You know, they use it. It's just, I think we humans give deer way too much credit. Like yeah. they're some mythical beast. They're not. They need to eat, sleep, <laughs> yeah. drink, and chase women. That's it. Yeah. Simple. I I think it's if if we could think on that level, right on that binary level, it's like if there's if I'm afraid, I'm going to run. If I'm hungry, I'm going to eat. You know, it's it's like yeah. an, it's on or off. That's and like, it's like Forrest Gump. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Oh man, the next time I'm in a tree stand and I see a deer walk by, I'm I'm probably gonna think of that. Run, Forrest. <laughs> so you know you've been you've learned to deal with pressure. You've you've learned you know how to adapt to failure. Um, have there have there been any other big lessons that you've learned through bow hunting? that uh i don't know whether it's hunting you know like learning lessons about hunting or maybe learning lessons about life for uh, i mean one thing is uh, i'm a better morning person than evening person i don't know if i make better decisions if i get up and i'm ready to go to start the day but i see bigger deer uh, i think better in the morning and i'm more productive on a, a personal in the morning uh than, than in the evening. I'm a horrible evening hunter. Um, you know, even like at night, I'm just lazy, I think. <laughs> and I'm just tired at night. But I would say the biggest thing that I've learned is I don't know shit when it comes to deer. Yeah. Uh, I'm a student, and I try and keep that I don't know anything mentality. That way it keeps, you know, that the glass half full and just keep putting stuff in there. You know, I want more, 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 more. And sometimes you got to dump, you know, dump the glass over so you get more stuff. So I, I try and keep an open mind and uh, try and hunt different places quite a bit so I don't get stale. Yeah. Different methods. You know, uh, I, I love challenges. Right. You know, uh, life, hunting, whatever, work. You know, I love, I love, I'm a good troubleshooter. You know, when things get heavy and, and, and pressured base like I, I think i do my best work then yeah but, you know the old proverbial back against the wall yeah all right so we're, we're coming up on time here but i want to hear a story from you i want you to end this podcast for us with one of your favorite most exciting memories or experiences bow hunting public ground in new jersey all right so so many, uh, not to brag, but, <laughs> uh, uh, I'll go, um, 
let's see, not this year, the uh, last year. Um, we were up in the mountains, me, me and my buddy Rick, and uh, I went up a day before he did, and super windy, gnarly, nasty. I'm not seeing anything, so I get down on the ground, and I'm, I'm still hunting in the mountains, which was a first for me. And uh, I'm actually on the phone with Rick. I got an hour knock. I'm talking to him like real soft because the wind's just ripping 100 miles an hour. And I look up, and there's this eight-pointer just standing there. And I'm, you know, 20 yards away, maybe 30 yards away. And I'm talking to Rick. I'm like, there's a giant eight-pointer. Where is that? There's an eight-pointer, not a giant, but a nice eight-pointer just standing there. He's like, shoot it. I'm like, hold on. So I put the phone in my pocket, and the deer starts moving. I pull back. I end up shooting it. End up the old perfect yo X deer runs off. Perfect shot. I pull the phone in my pocket. Like I just killed it. He's like, get out of here. <laughs> so so, uh, so you shot yeah. you you killed a deer while on the phone with your buddy. Yes, yes. So <laughs> I, I find the arrow. There's blood everywhere. I find the deer, and uh, he he comes in. We get the deer. We're, we're, we're at a campground, so it's kind of warm. We end up finding, like, a butcher who can hang it for us. So then the next night, him and I set up, and uh, I end up shooting this doe, which is crazy because who does that? But shooting this doe, he, he ended up seeing this big eight-pointer come out. It got too dark to shoot. So he went back the following day, and he sat on the ground in the mountains on a stool, literally, and he waited all day. And he ended up shooting that eight-pointer the last five minutes of light, that big eight. <laughs> Smoked it, drilled it. I'm way I'm, – uh, I'm hiking. I'm having a good old time. I put a couple of trail cameras up. I get the phone call. And I'm like, wait, nobody's calling me 20 minutes before dusk or dark unless they shot a deer. So he's like – and he's so pumped up. I, I shot him. I, I think it's a good shot. I'm like, you got to be fucking kidding me. So – I'm literally running down the Appalachian Trail as fast as I can <laughs> to get to the truck, you know, because he's like on the other side of the mountain, you know, and I'm like, oh, so I got to get my deer from the butcher because they're going to close, you know, and we're going home that night. So I got to get the deer and all those things. And he's like, I'm going to go look for him. I'm like, you're going to sit there until I get there. No moving, you know. And uh, so I get there, you know, it's like a, just a whole, just crazy insane. That deer went like 40 yards and died. So I shot a buck. I shot a big doe, and he shot that big eight. And we were driving, you know, had three deer in the back of the truck. And, I, I mean, I got a Ford pickup truck, but we had all our gear. We didn't plan on shooting but one deer. So now there's three deer. We got no place for our gear. We're, like, ratcheting, strapped things down, you know. It was uh, one of those awesome hunts, you know, because you know, I've been hunting with him forever. But for both of us to kill deer from the ground, bucks from the ground, in, you know, the October 20th, I think it was, 21st, and uh, we shoot a doe as well, but it was one of those cool trips that we'll remember because, you know, who, who does that really? Yeah. I mean, like, who goes to the mountains and kills three buck, you know, three deer yeah. in a in a two and a half, three day window? Yeah. <laughs> was that was that Mountain in New Jersey? Too, you know? Yeah, North Jersey. Yeah. North Jersey. Okay. Okay. Cool, man. Well, Greg, man, I really appreciate you taking time out of your yeah. day to um, hop on and. Uh, talk to everybody uh, i really yeah. think that everybody here needs to follow you on instagram love your storyline um what's your uh what's your story what's your call sign for instagram uh bow hunting fiend bow hunting underscore fiend uh got a few youtube i got some buck kills on youtube nothing recent but got some big ones on there gotcha or big for new jersey i should say uh, yeah but pretty decent i got some other something i'm not very active on youtube i should be but I got content on my computer. I'm just, he said, when it comes nighttime, I'm just lazy. Yeah, I feel you. I feel you. All right, man. Well, hey, man, uh, I appreciate uh, your time and good luck this upcoming season. All right. Thanks, man. And there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Huge shout out to Greg, man. Go follow him on Instagram. Huge shout out to all of you. Thank you very much. I really appreciate everything that you guys do for me when it comes to listening and following along, not only on the podcast, but on social as well. If you are new to the Nine Finger Chronicles, man, welcome. 
Go follow me on Instagram and Facebook and shit. I'm a, I'm even on TikTok, but I don't do anything there. I'm also I'm also on Go Wild as well. I put out some content there as well. So other than that, man, I hope everybody has a good rest of your week. Please go out and support the companies that support this podcast. We have Ozonics, Wasp, Lone Wolf, The Average Conservationist, and of course Vortex Optics, man. Um, love those brands love the people that work for them and uh i'm looking forward to sharing some more gear talk uh through the hunting gear podcast here pretty soon and what else do i have to say be kind to each other love each other um you know if you if you feel like you have hate in your heart for another individual man um talk to them about it there's no there's no other way to do it communicate with people that you may be different from and you're going to realize that you are more you're similar in more ways than you think so there's that god bless america and uh man we'll talk to you next time